welcome. Psalm 141 is another of David's psalms where he's praying about his enemies. However, the difference here is that David is not praying so much for the defeat of his enemies, but rather that David himself will be protected from doing wrong things. He can see something, you see. He can see that if he becomes like his enemies, if he accuses people with false words, if he imitates their wrong behaviour, then he can protect himself from danger. But he knows that if he falls into that wrong behaviour, it will ruin his relationship with God. We remember David as a man after God's own heart, a man who loved God and so much wanted to have attitudes that are like God's attitudes. So he knew that when his enemies do evil things, he had to still do what is right and good and proper in order to please God. My name is Keith Simons. I'm a Bible teacher from England. I present these talks, How to Understand the King James Bible, using the Book of Psalms. We've done more than 110 of these talks in the last couple of years, each focusing on a different psalm or a section of a psalm. And uh, if you find today's talk helpful, please do look back at the archives of our talks. Each time we look at a psalm, today it's Psalm 141, verse by verse and word by word. The heading of Psalm 141 is just simply a psalm of David. It tells us, therefore, that it's about David's life, but it doesn't tell us when David wrote this psalm. In the opinion of many of the books um, of Bible teachers, this psalm is about the time when King Saul had his army chasing after David. David was forced to hide in such places as caves because he knew that his life was in great danger. No wonder, therefore, David began verse 1, praying desperately to God. Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Make haste, come quickly, God, I need your help, I'm in very great danger. Give ear is another way to say, listen to me. Listen to me, God. I'm calling out to you because I know that if you hear my cry, then you will act. You will act on my behalf and you will rescue me from the great danger that I am in. David was in great danger from his enemies, but he was starting to realise that he was in even greater danger from himself if he chose to have wrong and evil attitudes. But he continues, he says in verse 2, Let my prayer be set before thee as incense. Incense was the substance that they used to burn, the priests used to burn each day in the temple. Um, it doesn't really burn, it sets up smoke. 
and it, it produces thick, dense smoke when you attempt to set it on fire. And that smoke has a sweet smell. The temple incense was unique. It was for use only in the temple. It was a smell of fragrance only for God. And just as the incense would be burned in front of the most holy place in the temple before before God's Ark of the Covenant, the place where God was present, David says, let my prayer be set before you like that. May my prayer go into the very throne room of God. May my prayer be placed before you just as that precious, fragrant incense goes before you in, in God's house, the temple or in the tabernacle. And he adds, let the lifting of my hands be as the evening sacrifice. The lifting of my hands. In biblical days, that was the posture for prayer. I was taught as a child that for prayer, you must place your hands together. Well, in the Bible days, people were taught to lift their hands up, to reach as if they were reaching towards heaven and reaching out for God's blessing. Let the lifting of my hands be as the evening sacrifice. Just as the sacrifices were burned on the altar in front of the temple or the tabernacle and the smoke rose to heaven and it says in the book of Leviticus that smoke was pleasing to God. So David is saying, may my prayer please you, God. The lifting of my hands, which symbolises prayer, may that please you. May you receive it even as you receive a sacrifice. Now, for those of us who are Christians, the sacrifice points forward. It points forward to the death of Jesus upon the cross and how that truly was a sacrifice pleasing to God. God receives his people because of Christ's sacrifice and God receives the prayers of his people because of Christ's sacrifice. That's why Christians pray in the name of Jesus. They're saying just as Jesus died on the cross for them and God received him in heaven, so may this prayer be received. So David's placed a lot of emphasis on this, his prayer. But what is his prayer? We, we've said already, and it will become very clear later in the psalm, that enemies were chasing after him. Was David praying against those enemies? Well, on this occasion, no. Verse 3 tells us his prayer. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Set a watch. Keep. Those are different Hebrew words, but they carry more or less the same meaning. They mean to guard. Guard before my mouth, Lord. Set a guard in front of my mouth. Guard the door of my lips. What's he saying here? He's saying there is a danger that I, in my words, will sin against God. 
There is a danger in this situation that with all these troubles, with these enemies chasing after me, with people accusing me falsely, that I will be tempted to accuse other people falsely. They are speaking lies against me. I might be tempted to speak lies against them. It will be an easy way to get out of trouble, an easy way to get out of danger, an easy way to offend God, an easy way to ruin my relationship with God. So God, I need you to set a watch, to put a guard in place before my mouth, to protect me lest I be tempted to speak wrong words. Keep the door of my lips, of course, has a corresponding meaning. The door of my lips, the door is what opens and closes. As my mouth opens and closes, you card it, Lord. Help me that I may not say wrong things. But it's not just my mouth that's in danger. What about my heart? Verse 4. Incline not my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. So incline means to turn. When David prays, incline not my heart to any evil thing, it means turn my heart away from the temptation to do what is wrong and evil. Uh, and then he adds, uh, incline not my heart to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity. Iniquity means sin. He's saying, may I not be tempted to do things that are wicked with evil men. Oh, it's so, so tempting in this situation of persecution to compromise, to give in. To, to end up doing things that are just as evil as the evil people I complain about. No, save my heart from that temptation. God, I want to incline my heart to you. And so I need you to incline my heart away from this temptation that I feel so deeply to do evil things. And David adds, let me not eat of their dainties. A dainty means sweet or pleasant food. That actual word only appears once in the Bible, in, in the verse that we're looking at. But there is the use of a very closely related word in verse 6, which is translated sweet. Let me not eat, in verse 4 we could say, of their sweets. The things that wicked people find pleasant, that are so easy, that are so tempting. Let me not live that way. God, I don't want to share the food of wicked people because the sort of thing that wicked people like is evil. It might be very tempting. It may be very easy to eat, but it's evil. Of course, David is not really talking about food here. He's saying that he doesn't want to be the sort of person who carries out 
their evil deeds. And he's using this picture of a meal because friends often eat a meal together and they discuss together their plans and their ideas for what they want to do together. And he's saying what these evil people would like to do with me if they made me their friend. It's evil things. It's wicked things. They might seem very sweet and pleasant. They might, might make me wealthy and strong and powerful. But I don't want any part of it. I don't want to eat that meal because that meal brings me into sin. It breaks my relationship with God. No, I want my friends to be those who serve God. And above all, I want my friend to be the righteous one, to be God himself. And with a righteous person, with a good person, it may not be very pleasant to be that good person's friend. Verse 5, let the righteous smite me. Smite means to hit, to beat. That word is used in the Bible of when you hit something with a hammer. That's painful. If the righteous is going to smite me like that, what does he mean? He means I want righteous people to correct me, to show me what I'm doing wrong. Maybe I've already been tempted to do something evil and I haven't realised it. Maybe I'm already saying evil things in response to my enemy's evil words and it hasn't struck me yet then let the righteous be honest with me let him deal with me though it hurts me ever so much i want to know the truth about what i'm doing i want the righteous person the good person or i want god himself to point out to me everything that I'm doing wrong, that I can bring it before God, that I can seek his forgiveness, that I can be corrected. Because if the righteous smites me, the verse continues, it shall be a kindness and let him reprove me. Let him tell me off. Let me, him tell me about my wrong ideas. It shall be an excellent oil which shall not break my head. Oh, we've talked about hammers and hitting people with hammers. No, if a righteous man, if a good person corrects me, although it may seem painful and difficult at the time, in reality, it's like excellent oil. People would pour oil upon their heads. Uh, we've, got, of course, got the ceremony of the anointing where people anointed a king with oil but simply to put oil on the head that that was like putting on perfume that was something pleasant and attractive it shall not break my head in other words it shall not hurt my head another translation of the hebrew here is my head shall not refuse it no, when a righteous person corrects me, it's like an excellent oil being put on my head. And so I'm certainly not going to refuse such a kind gift of oil. The end of verse 5 is a difficult line. 
for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. Calamities mean troubles or, or their evil, literally. Um, what does it mean? Well, two of the most likely ideas are either he's saying he's still praying, even for his enemies in in their situation, he still cares about his enemies because he's wanting to do what is right, even in this wrong situation. So he hasn't forgotten about King Saul in his calamities, in his evil. He's still praying for King Saul. Although King Saul wants to kill him, yet he prays for Saul. That's one possible meaning. Or maybe it means... My prayer shall be in their calamities in the sense of I'm getting all this evil from them, all this trouble from them. And so I'm praying in this situation that God will rescue me and deliver me. How will God rescue him? Verse 6. When their judges are overthrown in stony places, they shall hear my words, for they are sweet. Again, a verse which the Bible commentators don't agree with. They have uh, many different ideas about. But there seem to be some pretty plain things here. And Spurgeon says the most logical explanation is this. When their judges, the rulers, the leaders of these wicked people, are overthrown in stony places. That's a word picture for for uh, when they lose their position of authority, just as as someone is thrown down to the ground and to the rocks, and it's a terrible accident for them. That's a word picture for a powerful person losing all his authority. And when King Saul did lose his authority, when he died in in battle, then the people heard David's words. When their judges are overthrown in stony places, they, the people, shall hear my words, for they are sweet. Then it was pleasant for the people to listen to the words that David spoke, the right and good things that David said. So the verse is literally fulfilled. When the leaders of these wicked people were overthrown, then the people themselves, the ordinary people, heard the words that David spoke and they found David's words pleasant and they appointed him to be the king. Verse 7. Our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth as when one cutteth and cleaveth wood upon the earth. Okay, this verse is probably the most difficult verse in this particular psalm. We've had a couple of places where I've had to draw your attention to difficulties and disagreements in what the commentators say. But uh, those problems are nothing like verse 7. So let's take apart verse 7 literally and see what it's saying. And then let's discuss what it means. So... Our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth. The grave, the place of the dead. You expect bones 
to be gathered in the grave. That's that's how uh, Israel's people buried dead bodies. They gathered a person's body to the the grave of his father and his father's father after him. And so the bones were gathered together. If bones are scattered, therefore, what we're discussing is violence, something very violent and disturbing. The grave's mouth. The grave is a word that can mean uh, hell, the place of the dead. And so we've got a picture here, which is much like death is described in the Old Testament, where the person's soul is in the grave and the bones are placed at the mouth of the grave uh, in what we today call the grave. So the mouth of the grave is representing the surface of the earth and the grave or hell or, or the place of the dead is is underneath the earth. It's hidden away because obviously the soul of the person is not there on the surface with the bones of the person. And then the second half of the verse seems to describe how badly the bones are scattered. As where, when one cutteth and cleaveth wood upon the earth. Okay, the King James has this as cutting and cleaving wood. It's picturing someone with an axe chopping away at wood. My neighbour does this sometimes. And as he chops the wood, it flies off in all directions and he has to collect it. Cutting wood, chopping wood upon the earth. And so he's saying the bones are badly scattered. OK, what does this word picture mean? Some of the modern translations try to link this with verse 6. Their judges are overthrown in stony places. So they imagine that the judges have been thrown to the ground. And if the judges of verse 6 had really been thrown down from the top of a cliff to the ground, then no wonder if their bones are scattered at the grave's mouth. So the Bible translations which follow this idea have the idea that verse 7 is spoken by the judges. Well, of course, the judges have died, uh, but, but maybe the souls of the judges in hell are describing how badly scattered and broken their bones are. A strange idea, a strange way of speaking, and certainly not a common word picture in the Bible. So we need a better idea than that. And a better idea in many of the commentaries is that these are the words of David describing how bitterly he was suffering, as if he's saying, even if our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth, even if they're scattered so roughly as when someone is chopping wood, then uh, still... I have faith in God. Still, I want to do the right things. Now, I think that idea has some merit, but I think we can do better than that description. Because maybe David is referring to a particular group of people who suffered a terrible death. 
at the time when he was opposed by King Saul. Maybe he's saying the bones of my friends, my companions, my helpers are scattered like that by such violence. Well, can we find that in the Bible? Yes, we can. 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verses 18 to 23. What happened when David escaped from King Saul was that he went first to a place called Nob, where the leaders of the priests were and God's tabernacle was there. And he asked the priests for bread and for a sword. And they gave him the sacred bread, which the bread of the presence, which was kept in the tabernacle. And they gave him back the sword that David himself had taken from Goliath. And so David went on his journey. He went abroad after that. But Saul heard about this. And Saul decided to oppose the priests because they had helped David. And there was a terrible massacre that took place in the verses I've just referred to. Doeg, the leader of King Saul's shepherds, a man from Eden, in anger turned against the priests. He killed 85 priests that day. He killed men and women, children and sucklings and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword, the passage says. He destroyed totally that town and the leaders of Israel's priests for nothing more than the fact that they had helped David. And the son of the chief priest managed to escape and he went to David, the sole survivor of all his family. David, David said to that man, the young chief priest, I have occasioned, I have caused the death of all the persons of thy father's house. Psalm 141 verse 7. Our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth, as when one cutteth and cleaveth wood upon the earth. Yes, we've suffered this, this terrible, terrible thing done by these people, these people who are called judges in verse 6, done by people who ought to be enforcing God's law, doing what is right and good, but they've carried out this terrible act of destruction, of murder, of mass murder. And yet in that situation, David can pray, verse 8, But mine eyes are unto thee, O God, the Lord, in thee is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. God, even in this situation, even hearing of such cruelty, such terrible things done against your people, against my friends, God, I look to you. Mine eyes are unto thee. And he calls God by the title, O God, the Lord. A title we don't see often for God. You'll see the word God there, G-O-D, is in block capitals. 
It's the same word, the sacred name of God, which is usually presented as Lord in block capitals in the Bible. O God, O Jehovah, the Lord. That word for Lord means a ruler, a master. God, you are the ruler. You are the master. You are the one who has power in this situation. You are the sovereign God. God, the king, the true king. It's to you I look. It's on you I depend. In thee is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. The Hebrew word for destitute means bare. Don't leave my soul alone. Don't abandon me. O oh God, in this great trouble, I'm depending on you. It will be so tempting for me to speak evil words, to tell lies, to try to rescue myself. But what about my soul? What about my inner life? What about my relationship with you? I must trust you to keep me, to protect me, to keep me safe. Verse 9. Keep me from the snares which they have laid for me and the gins of the workers of iniquity. Snares and gins. These are both words for different types of trap that people used to lay to catch, catch more wild animals or, or birds. Keep me from these. Keep me safe in this danger. Protect me. Protect me from the evil that is on every side. From this wrong temptation. Keep me safe. Verse 10. Let the wicked fall into their own nets. Whilst that I withal escape. Withal, it means altogether. I escape totally. I escape in one piece, as we might say today. Let me escape, not with my, my soul and my body broken apart by death. No, I want to escape that I can serve you in the way that you have called me to serve you. But let the wicked fall into their own nets. A snare might kill and a gin, verse 9, might kill. But a net? No, a net doesn't hurt anyone. It doesn't hurt the birds that get into it. Uh, no, the hunter, if he's hunting birds, if he uses a net, has to then go and kill the birds. No, a net holds someone back or holds an animal in place so it can't, can't get away. God, all I need you to do is to hold back these wicked enemies so that I can escape safely, David prays. Oh, how much he wants to escape them, that he can do God's work, do what God has called him to do. Enemies on every side and within him the temptation to do what is wrong. Yet David is seeking God. David doesn't turn to military means for his protection. He refused to attack Saul, even when he had the opportunity to do so, because he said Saul is God's anointed. God chose Saul. I should do nothing against him. I must leave it to God to act in this situation. I can do nothing to protect myself except to turn to God in prayer.
please write to me. My email address is 333kjv at gmail.com. That's 333kjv at gmail.com. And now let me read you the whole of Psalm 141, a Psalm of David. Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth, keep the door of my lips. Incline not my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. Let the righteous smite me, it shall be a kindness, and let him reprove me, it shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. When the judges are overthrown in stony places, they shall hear my words, for they are sweet. Our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth as when one cutteth and cleaveth wood upon the earth. But mine eyes are unto thee, O God, the Lord, in thee is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. Keep me from the snares which they have laid for me and the gins of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets, whilst that I withal escape.